Kia ora and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. This is my daily podcast that goes out with a daily email newsletter I produce via Substack called Rakaka. Every day I try to understand what's happening in our political economy and focus in particular on housing affordability, climate change in action and child poverty reduction. And one of the main stresses on family finances, particularly those on lower incomes, is the rise in grocery costs, food, vegetables, and a whole bunch of other things that people get from their supermarkets. And obviously, in the last year, that has risen sharply in line, or perhaps and sometimes more, than commodity and other costs. That's because we have a duopoly in our economy in supermarkets with foodstuffs, which is a cooperative, uh, a collection of owner-operated stores and collective buying operations based around Pack and Save, New World and Foursquare. It also includes, by the way, a wholesale operation called Gilmore's. And then secondly, the corporate-owned Countdown, which is, of course, owned by Woolworths Australia. Sometimes people call it progressive because that's uh, where it came from. So you have a duopoly of foodstuffs versus Woolworths, uh, which, according to the Commerce Commission's market study that came out this year, is responsible for up to $430 million worth of excess profits per year because, says the Commerce Commission, it charges gross margins that are around twice that of similar-sized grocery markets overseas. Now, it's done this in a variety of ways by uh, increasing the margins it puts on top of the costs of its supplies that it takes in. And it also, of course, suppresses the costs of those supplies through its buying power. So you have relatively small suppliers uh, competing to get into one or both of the chains, And those chains have the power to say, we'll lock you out of our shelves and our freezers if you don't give us the right price or provide us with a discount which we pass on in full, or maybe not in full, to consumers. We'll also force you or ask you or get you to agree to uh, take on a whole bunch of costs that perhaps otherwise we could have had to pay. For example, the costs of transporting goods to supermarkets or the costs of putting them on the shelves or maintaining stocking levels, those sorts of things. And then there are, of course, the other various payments that are made to uh, have the best positions on shelves at eye level or on the ends of aisles. All sorts of payments. It's not a simple matter of um, selling a, a bunch of veggies to the supermarket sending them an invoice and then being paid for the veggies and letting the supermarkets pay for the transport, the stocking, the um, uh, the shelves, the shelves and uh, all of those things and, uh, and the supermarket um, cutting the price to encourage people to buy up against a competitor. Often those various costs and those supply chains are borne by the supplier or... Uh, We see, um, in some cases, uh, suppliers who don't cooperate being kicked out. And then on the other side, consumers 
even though they think they might be getting a good deal because they're told with all sorts of signs that this is the best price and it's the special offer, actually when you look at the costs that are paid versus what we see in other supermarkets overseas, even when you take out the effects of GST and various taxes on uh, fuel and the likes, New Zealanders are paying more for their groceries than most other countries in the world. So... Uh, the government um, instituted the market study, which uh, has been completed. The Commerce Commission uh, recommended a bunch of things, including the creation of a grocery regulator, someone who would accurately measure and pass on reports showing just how much profits the supermarkets make, because it's quite difficult to unravel what those gross profits are, and the Commerce Commission had to do lots of work to find out what's going on, given it's relatively easy to disguise your profits and all sorts of transfer pricing and a whole bunch of different uh, fees and charges and shifting of costs to other people which may not necessarily show up in accounts. Particularly when um, at least half of the market is controlled by cooperative. Now, just a, a quick sort of uh, dive into the economics of cooperatives and the corporate reporting's natures of cooperatives. Often you'll have a, a company which is owned by a cooperative which never makes a profit. And you wonder, how is that possible? How does it survive? Well, that cooperative, in effect, uh, ensures that the services it provides to its owners, who own the cooperative, or the goods that are either sold into the cooperative or are provided by the cooperative, effectively are at cut price or at a high price, depending on whether it's a supply cooperative or a purchasing cooperative. And in effect, the profit is embedded within the price that, uh, that uh, the owner of the cooperative, the farm or the store, uh, pays or receives. And so it's sometimes hard to work out whether the price is a genuine price. Now, over time, regulators have gotten involved, particularly when there's a particular player with market power. And in endearing, obviously, with Fonterra, you have, a, in effect, a regulated disclosed fair market price for milk, which separates out these issues around uh, whether the profit is included in the price or not. But that's not the case in supermarkets. And the Commerce Commission has recommended that this regulator look at the potential for a voluntary uh, um, wholesale access regime for uh, groceries. Now, this would allow new competitors to foodstuffs and Woolworths to get access to the wholesale operations within those two chains and in theory, pay the same price that the stores in those chains pay. Uh, I suspect there'd be a few pack-and-saver New World owners who'd be pretty grumpy about some competitor of theirs getting exactly the same discounted price that they get when they're buying goods from a vegetable supplier or um, Coca-Cola or whoever, and uh, would, would ask for juicy rebates, um, which would in effect mean that uh, they still have that competitive advantage over their competitor who may be buying from the same wholesale outlet. And trying to unravel those different 
parts of the total price, costs, rebates, profits, is really hard. Uh, particularly when uh, the costs vary throughout the country and the supply chain costs vary and the maintenance costs vary. All of these things are really hard to know. And the Commerce Commission has recommended that it be a voluntary process. The government's gone one further and said it's looking at a mandatory wholesale access regime. And the news in this process was that yesterday... David Clark, the Commerce Minister, announced at a press conference with John Duffy, the CEO of Consumer NZ, the, some of the details for this grocery industry regulator and released a proposal for a mandatory code of conduct between suppliers and the supermarkets. This is something that the suppliers have been keen on. They've alleged for a while that they've been bullied and that uh, um, the duopoly have used their market power to uh, gouge um, uh, most of the profit share within that supply chain and essentially uh, keep the suppliers uh, weak and uh, and under their thumb. And the idea is, is that a mandatory code of conduct would stop some of these bullying tactics and at least uh, make a lot of the um, tools used to apply that market power, at least make them public and embarrass the duopoly into doing the right thing. For example, um, the Code of Conduct, uh, which has uh, been, similar things have been created in Australia, where there is a voluntary Code of Conduct, and one in the UK, which is a mandatory Code of Conduct, uh, can use phrases like uh, fair dealing, and in good faith to try to um, get the duopoly to do the right thing by suppliers. Uh, we don't have the details yet on which way that um, mandatory code of conduct will go. Uh, there is a paper that's now out for consultation over the next five weeks, and the details of that were released yesterday. But the other news was David Clark announced that there would be a single grocery commissioner based within the Commerce Commission, to regulate the grocery sector. And this is sort of news in that it gives you a bit more detail about how this grocery regulation would work. And David Clark uh, referred to the relative success of the creation of a telecoms commissioner within the Commerce Commission uh, several decades ago as a model for how this sector could be regulated and how it could improve competition and ultimately prices for consumers and and also uh, returns for shareholders because it's pretty clear a vibrant competitive market in the long run is good for consumers and for shareholders in that it creates uh, more innovation in products and services and uh, ensures that everyone's kept on their toes and does their best and uh, ultimately gets the best for everyone. And it's pretty clear in telecommunication that's what's happened. So there's quite a lot of hope that a grocery commissioner could maybe repeat the success of the telecoms commissioner. But I think it's worth trying to unravel just how similar the two markets are and whether the success of the telecoms commissioner can be repeated. Now, just a bit of background and history for those um, who are a bit younger than me. Uh, um, 
for those people who think about their mobile phone or their broadband uh, service at the moment, they may, for example, uh, have, have a Spark phone, uh, they may have a Vodafone broadband, they may have Orcon or uh, um, uh, Call Plus or um, uh, uh, Now, uh, they may also have two degrees. And they people who've bought a mobile phone and have mobile phone service or even uh, prepay service will think it's a pretty reasonable price and they get reasonable service. Particularly when they've been overseas, it seems about right, our prices. Well, it, all, it wasn't always like this. Back in the early 2000s, basically we had two companies dominating telecommunications. Firstly, Telecom, the former government-owned uh, operator of the copper cable network, which went into every home and business in the country and allowed us to make phone calls and do things like fax <laughs> each other. And of course, uh, uh, from the early 90s, 1990s onwards, the creation of the mobile phone network with a whole bunch of cell towers, which at least initially were all about making phone calls from an actual phone <laughs> and uh, making and sending text messages, which you'll be shocked to know at various points used to cost you know, 25 cents per text message, 50 cents per text message. And you used to count the number of text messages you send every month. And if you sent more than 100, you're in trouble. Now, of course, um, everyone uses smartphones. And uh, aside from the occasional voice call, um, the, the real value of the, of the mobile network is in the data. And uh, increasingly, the cost of the services and of the phones has come down relative to the value we get. But that took some work. Uh, it wasn't always like this. Um, back in the early 2000s, our data costs, our mobile phone network performance, our, our phone charges you know, to phone internationally or to phone from one city to another were amongst the highest in the world and of the lowest quality, at least in the developed world. And there were real concerns that a duopoly involving telecom and Vodafone and mobile and telecom and fixed line were really restraining the growth of the telecommunications sector and injecting a whole bunch of cost into that sector, which consumers ultimately were having to pay. So the then Labour government, of led by Helen Clark, including the lights of uh, um, uh, David Cunliffe, uh, the telecommunications minister at the time, and of course, Michael Cullen, the finance minister, really moved to crack down in particular on telecom and to try to break up the market into a wholesale market where a whole bunch of retailers would have access to a, a baseline, if you like, of uh, service and of um, networks. And uh, essentially to do that, they had to break telecom up into chorus which we have now, which runs what was the copper network, although it's pretty much defunct now, and what was to become the ultra-fast broadband network, the UFB network, which the subsequent government under John Key invested around $1.5 billion of taxpayer money in to ensure the network got rolled out properly, that it was owned by Chorus, but that every retailer would have access to it at a reasonable and similar price. And that's what we have now with our optic fibre network. And at the same time, uh, the government, both flavours actually, looked to um, 
tweak regulations to encourage competition, and in particular in mobile. So what we saw was um, the introduction of mobile number portability. So you could move from one network to the next with the same mobile phone number so that all your friends and family didn't have to learn a new number every time. Seems weird to have to say this now, but that was the way. If you wanted to change networks, you had to actually take, get a different number. And also, the networks, uh, Telecom and Vodafone at the time, did all sorts of fancy promotions to, in effect, try to corral people in certain families or cities into their network rather than the other. So what you actually had for a long time in New Zealand was a market where Vodafone, uh, through its um, previous um, incarnation of Bell South, uh, had a very strong market share in Auckland, South Auckland, and the top of the North Island, and then the rest of the country was a telecom market. And uh, often uh, you'd find yourself in a situation where you'd have to have two mobile phones so that one group of people could ring you and another group of people who might be in a different part of the country could ring you because they would never ring across networks because every time you rang between Telecom and Vodafone, there was a mobile termination fee that had to be paid. Effectively, Vodafone charged Telecom every time someone on their network ran into the other's network. And that made it really expensive to, for someone with a telecom phone to phone someone with a Vodafone phone. And uh, it, was, it was quite a thing. Uh, you'd often categorise people by whether they were a telecom person or a Vodafone person as to whether or not you spoke to them. These were back in the days when um, people spent a lot of time texting each other. And of course, the discounts and the punishments for texting uh, had the same effect as well. So what the government did was, in effect, regulate lower a common mobile termination rate so that um, this business of cordoning people off into Vodafone customers and telecom customers uh, was made uh, much, much harder. And so that it didn't cost you more to ring someone in the other's network. And that broke down the barriers uh, to people shifting from one network to the next. And... Also, the government did a bunch of things with awarding uh, mobile phone spectrum, uh, essentially a license to use the air, uh, to, to bring in new competitions. So Two Degrees, which we know of now as a mobile and broadband provider, was initially just a mobile network. And uh, in effect, uh, iwi were given us a, a share of the spectrum. They joined up with some investors and created Two Degrees. Effectively, there was a bit of government subsidy in there aiming to create some competition, a third operator. And it was very successful. All of these changes, both in fixed line and mobile, had the effect of creating competition and helping to reduce prices, not just of their handsets, uh, but also the services. So data charges, um, you know, now you can get enormous amounts of data for 30 or $40 a month whereas previously it would have cost you hundreds of dollars a month. And now, in comparison with other OECD countries, our costs for particularly mobile data and landline uh, high-speed internet is amongst the best quality and the lowest cost that you'll see in the OECD. So there's been a real transformation there. To the extent that for quite a period during the mid-2000s and through the last decade, 2010 to 2020, the Reserve Bank used to refer to this constant downward pressure on telecommunications prices 
and uh, um, and that area, the tech sector area, as the two degrees effect. In, in effect, it was a constant throbbing, sucking down of inflation. And it's one of the reasons, a small reason, why we, we had this uh, multi-decade fall in interest rates in New Zealand. A, a real competition in mar large parts of the economy where previously there hadn't been competition. And the biggest source, of course, was in manufactured goods where up until the late 1980s, uh, you had a relatively small number of competitors selling products that were often manufactured or assembled in New Zealand at high cost. And through the 90s and 2000s, we got a lot more imported goods that did not have tariffs on them coming from uh, much bigger markets with bigger economies of scale, a lot more competition. And you saw the relative fall of uh, manufactured goods prices and the competition that wins that sort of blew through the economy and dragged down on inflation. So that all sounds good. Surely we could do for groceries what we did for telecommunications. And that was the suggestion yesterday with the announcement from David Clark that there would be a single groceries commissioner, but like a telecommunications commissioner, and also within the uh, mothership of the Commerce Commission. All good stuff. Now, to be fair to David Clark and also to John Duffy, who was at the press conference, I asked this question, can you really compare the groceries market and the telecommunications market? And can you really repeat that success? Because they are different in many ways. Uh, there's a couple of ways, which I've included in more detail in the email newsletter for subscribers. But in essence, telecommunications is a much more vanilla and easy to break up product or service than the groceries market. For example, the copper network, which at the time was the thing that was broken up by the government and owned by a single corporate entity, Telecom, uh, that was relatively easy to break up into wholesale and retail. You'd essentially give the network to a single company, and in this case, Chorus, and make telecom compete with a baseline wholesale product against that exact same product sold at wholesale to the, for the exact same price to Vodafone and other telecommunications companies. And that is, in effect, what happened with the a copper cable network. Then at the same time, as the new technology came along, the government subsidised the rollout of the new UFB network through Chorus again, but again, regulating wholesale access to that service. Again, a big vanilla pipe. So you have a single product where you had one or two points of entry where the product was the same in Kaitaia as it was in Invercargill. And it didn't matter too much whether you were out in the boondocks or in central Auckland or Wellington. You essentially got the same product and the same service, and it didn't cost that much different. That's one of the beauties of networks and spreading those costs across networks. However, uh, it is really different in groceries. And you may say, oh, hang on a minute, you know, one supermarket is just like another. Uh, packet of wheat bix, same packet of wheat bix. Well, not not quite, because a there's 
a whole bunch of different types of wheat bix now, not to mention lots of different suppliers of different types of wheat bix. And of course, every store is slightly different. It's not so bad for dry goods and things that don't go off and that can last on the shelves for months. But when you get to chilled and fresh produce, not to mention frozen, you have supply chains that differ country, uh, from city to city, town to town. You have different suppliers of all these products who have different cost bases and you have different wholesaling arrangements. You have, and in particular in the foodstuffs network, you have some large pack and save stores that have their own direct relationships with suppliers who go around the wholesale ones created for them by the buying cooperative. And each product and each service and each different type of delivery has its own different terms and conditions and ways of expressing a price and a cost so that it's quite hard to work out who's making the money out of the process, particularly when you have uh, some bodies much bigger and more powerful than the others and where ownership structures are quite different. You could have an owner-operator who um, is able to negotiate directly with a supplier and uh, ask for a low price for the pallet load of vegetables and then force the supplier to pay for the trucking to the store and also to unload the vegetables into the store and then to come back every four or five hours to um, uh, restock the shelves and clean away the messy vegetable leaves. All sorts of different arrangements. Every single store and town and city is a slightly different arrangement for a slightly different product line that lasts for a slightly different amount on the shelf and that is refreshed again and again. And you have dairies being quite different to metro stores, being quite different to very large supermarkets, some of which have parking, some of which don't. It is a freaking nightmare to try to unravel all of those things and put them into a single wholesale access regime where there is a actually fair and simple price that can be charged for a simple product. It's just not the same. And at the moment, the government is looking to bring in this wholesale access regime and potentially make it mandatory. So you're going to have to be really sure you know what the prices and costs are and that it's fair and that everyone has access to it, that there isn't some funny business going on with rebates between uh, stores who may own cooperatives that own wholesalers, so that what seems like a cheap price isn't actually after the rebate is paid after the fact. Uh, it's a, going to be very, very hard to repeat what was done in telcos in groceries. And the government is going ahead with the idea there would be a voluntary one, and so are the supermarket chains. Uh, Foodstuffs has, in theory, opened up its wholesale arms to competitors, such as Night and Day and some of the dairies and the service stations. Uh, we yet to see how effective that will be and whether they're actually getting the same price as the foodstuff stores. So far, those uh, competitors are not confident they'll get the same price. And... In fact, at the moment, many of them actually could go to the wholesaling operations. There's one in particular, Gilmore's, which if you're a dairy operator, you could go to this wholesaling operation and buy stuff. But it turns out it's actually cheaper to buy it at Pack and Safe than it is at the wholesaler. So clearly, 
um, it's not like for like or a fair and open process. And the competitors are not hopeful that this voluntary wholesale access regime will be very effective for them to try to compete more aggressively with those with the duopoly. So um, that's going to be difficult. And secondly, uh, the government has is holding the threat in the background that it is currently working on fleshing out in terms of the costs, the benefits, the hows, uh, for an actual breakup of the duopoly. Now, it's not clear exactly how that could be done. Maybe foodstuffs could be forced to sell off Foursquare. Maybe some of the juicier or least juicy, depending on how it's managed, uh, New World stores, or maybe some of the pack-and-save stores could be carved off. But trying to do that, particularly with foodstuffs, where you have opaque and quite varied ownership mechanisms and different ways of buying things, some New World stores buy from the central operations, some work directly with the suppliers, same with pack-and-save, um, and... Some stores, you know, are easier to get trucks into than others. Uh, some stores have more storage capacity than others. Uh, some of them are better able to handle chilled goods or vegetables or be closer to where the vegetables are grown. All of these differences make it really difficult to unravel and to carve off and sell, particularly when you've got lots of different owners. It's not like going to telecom and saying, to the single corporate entity, right, we're going to carve you up into two and all of your shareholders can get equal amounts of shares in these two different operations. To do that with foodstuffs in particular would be very difficult. You could argue it would be easier to do with Woolworths, which is a single corporate entity and doesn't have the owner-operated stores or the franchising arrangements that foodstuffs operates. But again, um, very difficult to do when... Uh, was can argue, I'm sure in court, that it was being treated unfairly relative to foodstuffs. And so um, this is a uh, moving feast of uh, hard to pin down and slice up elements, unlike in telecommunications. So whoever gets that grocery commissioner's role has their work cut out. Uh, purely to understand where the profits are, let alone uh, fairly and cleanly uh, breaking things up or opening them up to competitors. So where does this leave us all? Well, there's a lot of hope and uh, um, optimism that things can improve. And certainly the two chains, Foodstuffs and Woolworths, have made a lot of good noises and a lot of PR has been issued about price freezes and all sorts of things. There is a lot of scepticism about how effective that actually is and whether it actually is transferring some of those super profits back to consumers or suppliers. Uh, it's not clear that that's happened yet, uh, in part because we don't really know what the gross profit margins are, store by store, product by product, up and down the country, between the two chains, between stores within the chains. It is hard to know. So, uh, what's going to happen? What should happen? How could it be done differently? Well, we know that um, the creation of the groceries regulation and a commissioner will put the pressure on the duopoly to try to be to do the right thing. 
It also is uh, going to force some better, um, some some better uh, better things with. Um, It's also going to force the duopoly to be more cautious before they do more aggressive things. And the recent passing of the 30, Section 36 reforms, which give more powers to the Commerce Commission to crack down on companies that are abusing market power or are doing mergers and acquisitions to create more market power, uh, is, is good news and may make it harder for the duopolies to expand their profit margins much more. However, we should be cautious before believing that this is going to solve the problem anytime soon. There are some hopeful things, which are that over the next um, 10 to 20 years, and that's the sort of time frame you have to look at, you could see some of the success seen in the retail fuel market uh, repeated in groceries. So you might recall there's been a market study into fuel and various regulatory tweaks, which have had some impact in reducing some of the profit margins that Z Energy, BP and Mobile were able to, able to generate in the previous decade. And we have seen too the arrival and the growth of some competitors using different business models. For example, having unmanned service stations, we're talking Gull, Waitomo, NPD, Challenge, who have been slowly but surely nudging their way into various markets by buying sites and putting these uh, um, stations on them and dragging some of the margin out. But of course, we can see now much more clearly in those areas without a Gull or without a Waitomo that the higher margins are still in place. It's going to take a while. It's taken at least a decade in retail fuel and we're not there yet. And you have to think that in groceries, it's going to take a long, long time. Now, there are some new competitive forces nudging around the edges, coming in obliquely. The warehouse has talked a good game about uh, coming back into the market. It tried in 2006 to compete head-on with the supermarket chains and got bullied out of the market um, in, a, in a pretty pretty obvious way. For example, Foodstuffs bought itself a share of the warehouse and uh, there were all sorts of shenanigans that went on, including as we now know, the um, creation of special clauses in shopping centre leases that banned the shopping centres from allowing competitors in, even after the main duopoly had left, three years after. Also, the shopping centres were forced to lobby in the Environment Court to block new competitors from coming in for future shopping centres. And then there were also uh, clauses, covenants on agreements for land sales uh, for future shopping developers, developments that uh, locked out new competitors. So the warehouse got uh, mown down uh, on the main street by the, the two trucks. And um, various attempts or talk about, you know, the likes of LD or Lidl or Tesco or Walmart coming into New Zealand have come to pretty much nothing. We do have one Costco store that's come into West Auckland, um, which is launching in the next few months, and that will be interesting to see. But again, that's just one relatively small part of one city in the country. Uh, so the warehouse and Costco will come in. 
but there's no real indication yet that Aldi or Lidl or anyone else will come in to act as a real third force in the way that Two Degrees eventually did. And there are various competitors nibbling away at the side using online delivery and the likes to get in there. And in a way, the ready-made food boxes, the likes of uh, Hello Fresh and My Food Bag, are in a way competing a little bit with supermarkets, but not in a meaningful and widespread sense. So, where are we at the end of all this? Well, some good niggly, naggy, uh, pressury moves to try to uh, keep the supermarkets honest have been made, but don't expect massive improvements in prices or competition anytime soon. And from a you know macroeconomic sense or a, a home budget sense or a competitive sense, don't expect to see this sort of transformation and um, thrilling uh, price cutting and profit increasing joy that we saw with the telecommunications sector. That was 37 minutes of deep dive into the tele, into the telecommunications and grocery sector, all having a good time. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was this morning's version of the Kaka. And thanks, of course, to our paid subscribers to the Kaka who make it possible for me to do this work in an independent and hopefully useful way. And if you've heard this uh, by accident or because I've opened it up to the public, come on board and join us as a subscriber and come in and, and comment and get the, the full juice every day. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. Kaki Tano.